Northampton, it's 12 o'clock, and it's time for your audio fiber supplement to get things moving for you for the rest of the day. Can we just have one show where we don't talk about poop, please? <laughs> well, Megs, you know the meat and dairy industry is full of it, and that's why we're part of the fiber-rich solution to clearing the rotting bowels of our constipated culture. Issues. <laughs> Listeners, let's just ignore Derek today and pretend that he's someone less crude and more handsome and articulate. Have it your way, as long as we can join together to flush the meat industry down the drain along with the plus pushers in the dairy industry, because it's time for another episode of Vegan, Vegan Radio. Radio. Today we have an interview with our old friend Jerry Cook about his new project, The World Orchard Project. Jerry likes to call himself the Veganator and thinks he is the captain of the Vegan Police. I think maybe there's something wrong with the drinking water in North Kakalaki myself. <laughs> there's a lot of runoff from those pig factory farms. I thought you didn't want to talk about poop on this show. I'm glad you changed your mind. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about the Prids instead. They're an all-vegan band from Portland, Oregon, and we'll be interviewing co-founder David Fredrickson and playing some of their music today. Today's Naked News features... Oops. We also have a new segment called Woodstock Critters, which will feature different animals that live at Woodstock Farm Animal Sanctuary in Woodstock, New York. This time, we have the world's friendliest rooster, Brandy. And we also have Morrissey, Foie Gras, and vegetarians taking over Bombay and the memory of goldfish on today's Naked News. Thanks for tuning in, and be sure to visit veganradio.com to find out more about today's show and the vegan movement, which happens fairly often compared to the meat eaters movement, if you know what I mean. You're done. <laughs> All right, you ready for the naked news? I guess so. The bare facts, the turgid truth. Naked news, only on Vegan Radio. Morrissey threatens Oxford vivisectionists. The singer Morrissey has waded into the controversy over the new Oxford Animal Research Laboratory, using a concert as an opportunity to warn those working on the site. Morrissey states, we're going to get you. During his concert at Oxford's new theater on Thursday night, the singer hid out at the Biomedical Research Laboratory site currently under construction at Oxford University. Morrissey called Oxford the shame of England for allowing the laboratory and told fans, if you agree with, agree with vivisection, why don't you go and be vivisected upon yourself? Our loyal listeners might remember the Oxford lab was mentioned in show 14 when we reported on a protest of over 1,000 animal activists who paraded through Oxford wearing bloody lab coats and blowing klaxons. When the klaxons again. Oh, those old klaxons. When the lab is finished, it will be used for research on primates, those noble creatures that are our closest relatives in the animal kingdom. Morrissey has been outspoken about animal rights issues in the past. In recent interviews, Morrissey said he understood why fur farmers and so-called laboratory scientists are repaid with violence. It's because they deal in violence themselves, and it's the only language they understand. He's previously branded George Bush and Tony Blair cruel and morally bankrupt, and said that like Saddam Hussein, they were egotistical dictators. Thanks to Frank Language for posting this story on our forums at veganradio.com. For a change See the luck I've had Can make a good man turn bad So please, please, please Let me, let me, let me 
let me get what I want this time. Ah. All right. Next story. No carnivores allowed. Have you ever walked through a major city and been offended by the amount of meat being sold in every nook and cranny? Have you ever dreamed of a city of vegetarians? It looks like Bombay, India might someday be the first vegetarian Mecca. As this city of 16 million becomes the cosmopolitan main nerve of a booming Indian economy, real estate is increasingly intersecting with cuisine. More middle-class Indians are moving in, more of them are vegetarian. They have a desire to form communities without being surrounded by the stench of burning flesh, and the law is on their side. Quote, quote, some people are very strict. They won't sell to a non-vegetarian, even if he offers a higher price than a vegetarian, said real estate broker Norbert Pinto. Vegetarianism is a centuries-old custom among Hindus, Jains, Buddhists, and others in India. The government reckons India has some 220 million vegetarians, more than anywhere else in the world. Veg or non-veg is heard constantly in restaurants, at dinner parties, and on airlines. And the question has long been an unwritten part of the interrogation house hunters must submit to. But it's becoming more open and the effects are more noticeable, all the more so in Bombay, which attracts immigrants from Gujarat and Rajasthan, strongly vegetarian states, as well as followers of the Jain religion. In constitutionally secular India, there's no bar to forming a housing society and making an apartment block exclusively Catholic or Muslim, Hindu or Zoroastrian. Vegetarians say they, too, need segregation. Rejected home seekers have mounted a slew of court challenges to the power of housing societies to discriminate. But last year's India's highest tribunal ruled the practice legal. A prosthetics engineer who was interviewed said, quote, It's just not fair. It's a monopoly by vegetarians. If you step out to eat, there's nothing for miles because everything around is veggie. Sounds like he's going out on a limb there. I know. Man, I wish that's what it was like around here. <laughs> that's, uh, that sounds like a good place. Maybe we should all move there. I, uh, I'm thinking about it. Do you think they have a I'm worried community? about the Zoroastrians. The Zoroastrians. Cutting and everything. Um, <laughs> What's their deal? I don't... Scott, do you know about the Zoroastrians? <laughs> Not at all, actually. I was just... <clears throat> somebody slipped that in there. I was just there. punning so, on the word, actually. So, somebody slipped that in there to trip me up. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Maybe one of our listeners could send in uh, uh, something about that. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! Derek, you are on tonight. You are on. <laughs> and you're going to be out. <laughs> out the door. So, Scotty, you have any information on why we sound like we're in a cave? <laughs> I think I got well, it fixed. Uh, we, we did at the beginning, yeah. I think it was just that everyone's mic except for Derek's was... No, there's a, there's, a, uh, there's a bypass button that we have to press down when there's more than okay, one. Okay, okay. Okay. Well, let's go on to Governor Pataki, the ass that he is. Um, <clears throat> Governor Pataki grants foie gras factory farm expansion. New York Governor George Pataki's Economic Development Agency has just awarded a $420,000 grant of taxpayer money to Hudson Valley Foie Gras, a notoriously cruel company in Sullivan County that force-feeds ducks to expand their livers to ten times their normal size. New York State Senator Liz Kruger criticized the governor's decision to support this company in a May 26, 2006 press release. Senator Kruger states, The paltry economic benefits the local community may reap fails to justify the way these animals are handled and fails to show New York taxpayers their dollars will be used in a responsible way. 
The production of foie gras is one of the cruelest in animal agribusiness. Ducks confined indoors in filthy cages are force-fed vast quantities of nutritionally incomplete gruel several times a day for up to a month to purposefully enlarge their livers. The diseased organ is sold for human consumption as a supposed delicacy called foie gras, French for fatty liver. During the force feeding process, a metal pipe is shoved down the bird's throat, often causing painful bruising, lacerations, pneumonia, esophagi impacted with undigested corn. Since the bird's livers are grossly enlarged up to, t- up to 10 times their normal size, respiratory stress is caused due to decreased air sac space in their lungs. The obesity makes the birds struggle to move, which results in infection-prone open-pressure sores to develop and fester on their bodies. Frog gras production is being phased out and will be illegal in California by 2012. New York is currently the only other state in the U.S. that produces this abomination. The city of Chicago recently banned the sale of foie gras, and several, several countries around the world have also banned the sale and production of this sadistic delicacy. New York Assemblyman, you got something to say, Derek? Oh, I always have something to say. <laughs> You're pausing. I was going to say that the, the French still, still promote foie gras. It's part of their nas- national uh, legacy. We know the French are bad, though. Bon dieu. <laughs> New York Assemblyman Jack McKenney introduced a bill last year to outlaw foie gras production. He told reporters that, quote, the production of foie gras is an archaic practice that should be resigned to the darker pages of history books. Taxpayer dollars should not be subsidizing the expansion of cruelty to animals in New York State. Despite widespread opposition to this hideous production method, including an overwhelming 91% of New York voters, the Empire State Development will award a $420,000 grant to the Hudson Valley Foie Gras. The agency is a public authority that answers to Governor Pataki, but not the legislature. The grant would allow the factory farm to expand, increasing the number of ducks to approximately 325,000. Please check your show notes at veganradio.com and find out how you can protest this use of taxpayer dollars to fund cruelty and snobbery. <laughs> Eat shiitake maki, Pataki. <laughs> okay. You rotten scoundrel. All right. We're got- coming for you, Pataki. We got one last story. The We're go- gonna send Morrissey after him. <laughs> I know. <laughs> ask go- me, ask me, ask me. The goldfish three-second memory myth. A conference of vets in Hobart has heard that fish are much smarter than is commonly thought. Studies have found the concept of fish having three-second memories is a myth, and goldfish memories can last as long as three months. Veterinarian Dr. Richmond Lowe says fish have been tested by making them use levers to get food. Once the fish figured out how to use the lever, the scientists allowed the fish only one hour in the whole day to use the lever. The fish remembered the lever the next day when it was time to eat. Yochi Oda of Osaka University in Japan has spent years studying the fine details of memory in goldfish, and he's also convinced that goldfish have a good memory. Some goldfish will come to the glass of their tank whatever people walk into the room. Sounds like my cat, Mumu. <laughs> These particular goldfish have worked out that when people turn up, so will food. You at keep le- Mumu in a tank. <laughs> Only when he's being bad. <laughs> <laughs> at least sometimes. In other words, people equals food for these fish. This is called associative learning. They eat people. The fish now associate people <laughs> with food. I wish they would. Mm. Fish yeah. also do social learning, where they learn by watching their fellow fish. Fish are very good at social learning because some species of fish are very social. Like Derek, the grouper. They all hang out together in schools. 
To survive in the school, they spend a lot of time paying attention to what their schoolmates do. They have to stay in fashion. Some fish can learn music, probably because it's important for them in the wild to be able to distinguish between different sounds in their environment. Ava Chase of the Rowland Institute for Science in Cambridge, Massachusetts, taught carp to tell the difference between John Lee Hooker, blues, and a Bach oboe concerto, classical, by feeding them smaller fish as a food reward. The music was played to the fish through loudspeakers in their tank. She then discovered that the carp would ge- could generalize from what they had learned and classify music that they had not heard before into the categories of blues or classical. That sounds crazy. Um, thanks to Pelagus for posting this story on our forums at veganradio.com. Please alert us to any vegan and animal rights news stories on our forums. It helps a lot, and we will mention... <laughs> wow, you are quick, man. You are quick with the board. And we will mention your name if we use your story. It's very easy to register, and we won't spam you, because spam isn't vegan, Not listeners, vegan. as we all know. <laughs> and you can find links to our forums at veganradio.com. So that's oh, yeah. it for the news. You're listening to Valley Free Radio at WXOJLP in Northampton, 103.3. And we know Northampton loves Ani DeFranco. <laughs> Shout out to Ani. Nobody loves Ani here. Someday she'll go vegan. She'll be cruel like us. <laughs> oh my God. You've lost it. I ain't lost nothing yet. Come on, man. You don't enunciate nearly as well as she does. Who, <laughs> oh, Ani? Ani. I don't enunciate well at that. all. <laughs> so uh, we, ha- we have a new feature now. What is it, Darlique? It's called uh, the Woodstock Critters segment. <laughs> <laughs> Derek is such a cute teddy bear at heart, listeners. Wow. <laughs> you always love like Why little... Why don't you tell us your true feelings? <laughs> You're a little cuddly. You like your little cuddly animal stories. Well, this rooster is cuddly. So what what we're going to do is, um, not maybe not every show, but on some of our shows, we're going to feature an animal from Woodstock Farm Animal Sanctuary in Woodstock, New York. Um, our friends Jenny and Doug run the sanctuary, and we're going to do little interviews with Jenny and Doug and <laughs> hopefully get the animals, some audio of the animals, too. This one we did of uh, Brandy the rooster. What does Brandy have to say? <laughs> a lot of that. Um, but it's a pretty cute little interview. And so, um, and what we're hoping is to raise awareness and also to let you know that um, Woodstock is um, working to get open this year and they can use donations and you can sponsor different farm animals by sending them a certain monthly amount and you'll get a picture of the animal and... And what's the story, and you get to come visit the farm for free anytime you want. What's our website? Um, the website is Woodstock Farm Woodstock um, Sanctuary dot org, which you can find in our show notes at veganradio.com. And also, you will hear at the end of this little segment that we pre-recorded, right, Megzi? Let's go. Let's mm-hmm. do it. Let's do this thing. Brandy the Rooster. This is Vegan Radio, and we're here at Woodstock Farm Animal Sanctuary with Jenny Brown and Doug Abel, the co-founders, and Brandy, the rooster. Brandy's story is, um, he's a nine-year-old rooster. He's black. He's very handsome. And um, he was rescued from a dumpster 
at an egg farm where, um, like with all hatcheries, the males that are born are usually discarded. They're put in a bags, they're suffocated, or they're sometimes, as horrifying as it is, they're ground up live as fertilizer. So he was rescued somehow from a hatchery. I don't know the, the real story behind it. Um, but he's a nine-year-old fella, and he's sort of our pet rooster. He's in the house equally as much as he is outside. And he loves grapes, which I'm feeding him right now. <laughs> when he's inside, he'll make certain noises when he gets the grapes because he's outside and there's other chickens around. He's a real gentleman. He makes certain sounds that tells the ladies, I got some good eats here. Uh, but I think secretly he probably just wants to eat it himself. But he's being, he's being polite. <laughs> you got to be polite about stuff like Come that. here, sweetie. Come here, my bub. Come on. Look what I got. What's that? Oh, they're delicious. Oh, they're delicious. There's no more grapes. What do you think about that? Um, he has a morning ritual, which is pretty interesting. He crows at the door in the morning around 7 o'clock and will continue to do so until we get up and let him in. He runs through the house, comes over to the kitchen area, and he usually gets some grapes, maybe a little banana, and then he loves canned vegetarian dog food. <laughs> and he eats a big old bowl of it and flips it all over the place. And the dogs come up and clean up afterwards. And then he walks over to a rug somewhere and he has to wipe his beak off, which is pretty cute. So if somebody uh, wanted to sponsor Brandy? Yeah, um, Brandy needs a sponsor. It would be $10 a month, as it is for all the chickens and roosters. And um, that helps us pay for his feed and his health care and allows him to live out the rest of his life here. In paradise. Yeah. About a dollar of that goes towards grapes, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, people can go to your website, too? Yeah, people can go to woodstocksanctuary.org and um, go to our sponsor and animal link. Just choose a chicken, chicken sponsorship. And through that, you can actually specifically, if you know the animals here, you can specifically ask to sponsor one one individual specifically yeah they get a card in the mail with a picture of the animal they're sponsoring and their rescue story and uh and a big thanks and an invitation to come out and meet them in person all right so that was jenny and doug from woodstock farm animal sanctuary with the rooster brandy and um so check out our show notes veganradio.com or go to uh woodstocksanctuary.org actually, .org and check out their links to how you can sponsor Brandy and next up we have our musical guest who's that, Maggie? David Fredrickson from The Prids David, can you hear us? Yeah, I can Loud, David (laughs) (laughs) We're we're still working out the technical uh, problems with this (laughs) set up here um so how you doing not really loud um no you're adjustable (laughs) we can fix you don't worry so david our our, our notes that we have is that you formed a band with mistina and then later Uh later got married and divorced and now live together in what you guys call castle sadmore in portland oregon (laughs) what does that mean what does that all mean Which part? The marrying and getting divorced? Or the I don't know. The castle sad more. It sounds so sad, David. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, well, that's the, okay. Here's the thing: is that um, the kids have a tendency to wear uh, black clothes, 
Oh, you know, okay. So people kind of make some, and friends of ours make some jokes about that. You know, they think that we're like sad. It's a joke, more more or less. But I think it's very funny. Oh, so you're not really sad. Um. <laughs> well, he, he he views his sadness with humor, so at least he's yeah exactly. halfway happy. Kind of, Kind of like a, the way the Smiths were sad, I guess. Ah, uh, ah. Uh. Oh, we just had a Morrissey story. Oh, you did? That's cool. Yeah. yeah. So what's this thing about um, being divorced but living in the same house? Is it possible? Oh, yeah. Definitely. Well, I just don't... I, I need to talk to her or want to talk to her so often that I couldn't really imagine uh, having to travel anywhere to, like, see her. Right, right. And so now you live together, but but you now see other people. Yeah, <laughs> that's intense. Megan and I used to be uh, be lovers too. So. <laughs> see, see but we don't live. But we don't live together now. So that's that's like another step. Not right now, you don't. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> but wait until Castle Sadmar too. Well, let's talk more about your music. Um, so tell us about the band and uh, what your influences are and how you came together? Um, well, I met Mistina in the Midwest back in 95. Um, I was a transplant from California. I was just traveling around, and I didn't really know what I was going to do with my life. And when I met her, we decided that we were going to make music. Um, make beautiful music together? Yeah, yeah, basically. <laughs> you know, to put, you know fine point on it um and uh it's really been it's been been beautiful ever since um we discovered veganism together pretty much without um any outside influence we like in the middle of nowhere we just it just seemed to dawn on us like the, wow. uh, the things needed to be that way that's intense and you found two other vegans to join your band yeah there's been, there's been some lineup changes but Strangely, we always end up with uh, with vegans. It's not that even we're, we... It's like we're not intentionally saying, oh, we have to be a vegan to be in the, in the band, but... Um, it's just you're hanging it, out with vegans, and then it turns out that, hey, they're musicians too. Yeah, yeah. Basically, about my, I, I only... I, most of the time, I'm only talking to, like, at least vegetarians, just in my house and everything right. else. But, but uh, yeah, yeah, it's not... It's not I, I'm not... A, against playing with anybody who's not a vegan, but uh, I couldn't imagine traveling around on the road. And, There'd be know, a lot of struggle. I just don't need it, yeah. I don't, it's not an extra, extra, extra obstacle I want to go get through. Yeah. So does your, um, does your vegan diet help you to do more encores? Of course, yeah. Everyone knows that. What? Everyone knows a vegan can play longer. That's right. And perform longer, David. <laughs> perform much longer. <laughs> Uh, Speaking of performance, are we going to play one of David's songs, or we're going to? Well, we have to interview him first here. There's more. Let him off the hook. Is there season. more? Is there more to David Fredrickson? So who are the other? <laughs> who, are, who are the other two uh, vegans in your band? Um, Eric Hold and Joey Moss. Eric plays the keyboards, and Joey plays the drums. And and, uh, and you'd yeah, say that you're like? Would you say that you like Morrissey? Give him a Morrissey yeah. twist. They got a little uh, more edginess. I, I, I kind of model my hair after his. <laughs> <laughs> good style. So good style. I don't sing like him or write like him. Yeah, you guys got your own thing going on. I was listening to it this morning. So uh, we're going to play the song The Glow, 
Is there anything about that song you'd like to tell our listeners? Oh, uh, no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> You've I guess got it's a, pretty it's, self-explanatory. It's on a new album that's coming out soon. Yeah, yeah, it's our, it's our new album. Uh, we haven't put out an album in a couple of years, and uh, our new album called "Until the World Is Beautiful." It sounds like a good plan. And <laughs> so you're just gonna keep playing until the world is beautiful. Yeah, basically, it's like a um, uh, almost a threat. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow. <laughs> So um, that's awesome. And uh, any last parting words? We're just going to play the music, and then uh, that'll be it for the interview. Okay. Well, um, I've had a good time. Um, I, I was, will definitely be listening almost every day. <laughs> cool. Can um, can people come out and see you on the east uh, west coast sometime soon? Are you touring? We we leave on a tour in July, and it should cover almost every uh, city in the U.S. It should oh, be at wow. least. A, it should be at least a two and a half, three month tour. Do you have a website? So, yeah, we have a website and a MySpace. Just check us out, and the dates keep appearing like every day. It's the prids dot com. Prids dot com. And how do you, how do people find you on MySpace? Just um, the prids. If you type in the prids, I'm sure. I mean, I don't know that much about it. So, <laughs> I don't know. <do> <laughs> I don't handle that part of it. <laughs> well, Vegan Radio is on MySpace too. I think that's how we Excellent. found each other. Um, well, great, and um, let us know when you're in New England, and maybe we can have you actually come on the station or something. That would be great. Wouldn't that be great? Um, that would be wonderful. We're centrally located near Boston, New York City, Hartford, all that stuff. All right, well, we're going to play The Glow. Thanks very much for uh, coming on the show, and we'll hope to hear more from you soon. Okay, have a good day. Thanks, David. Bye.
was rocking. Right at the end there. <laughs> it was taking off. I was taking off with Derek's it. Derek's getting close to 40. <laughs> that was rocking, kids. Megan is getting close to a spanking. <laughs> Could be the first ever on-air spanking on Vegan Radio. Let's get going here. We are going. This is Jerry Cook with the film Peaceable Kingdom. I'm a pro activist uh, who calls North Carolina home. I'm here in Massachusetts. And you are listening to Vegan Radio on WXOJ Northampton 103.3 FM and on the web at www.veganradio.com. Oh, we're look- uh, we've got. Um, <laughs> so our next guest is Jerry Cook from. Uh, well, he was in the, the documentary Peaceful Kingdom. His claim to fame so far. He's a longtime vegan activist. Yeah, pro activist. I hope pro activist. That's yeah. what he likes to say. Positive stuff. Upbeat. Now, what is what is a pro activist? A uh, pro activist is, is that like when you start getting paid for it? No, no, <laughs> no. I think that's the opposite. I believe uh, in some areas our activism has gone more to a business than to a follow your heart thing at times so proactivist is more of a positive thing rather than a negative thing you know like against this and against that um, I look at a proactivist more as we're doing things in a positive way that even it is difficult for people to uh, oppose it and that's why we launched this project uh, World Orchard Project and tell us about the World Orchard Project well the World Orchard Project is a, a project that it's basically designed to make food available for anyone and everyone who needs it without them having to have a, a means of money to buy. Basically, we want to try to plant fruit-bearing trees and, uh, and bushes in what we call the common areas where it's accessible to everybody. I mean, you can sort of do it on your private property by putting it at the road front, maybe in the right-of-way areas, but... Um, we're gearing toward like uh, school grounds or uh, mm-hmm. nursing home grounds, parks, hospital grounds, parking lots everywhere, um, and we want to do it internationally. The motivation behind it is to have food, like I say, available for humans, as well as it's uh, surely a positive for the environment and it's, uh, some food there for the non-human uh, animals on the planet. And we just we're excited about it. It's a fun project. So, what have you done so far? Well, so far, I put well, we we'll put together a core group to see if we wanted to try to launch something or just support some others. Um, there are a couple other programs out there that are similar, not maybe exactly because they're doing more plantings in private areas and so forth on private grounds. Um, but I put a, uh, together a core group of five of us to bounce it around, and we decided to go with it and form an organization, and that's where we came up with the name World Orchard Project. Um, I'm sorry, one of the co-founders, a friend of mine, Abby uh, Layden Pettit, who I met um, in Hawaii a few years ago when she was living there with her family, pretty much living off the lands, and she and I had some same, I think, thoughts about this. And we've stayed in communications over the years, even though we hadn't seen each other in person. And we discussed this a couple years ago, and then it came up again as I was uh, rereading some information that I knew that was put out by Thomas Hartman um, uh, in several of his books, one on being Last Hours of Ancient Sunlight. 
where it was discussed then, and it's a government statistic, really, that there are 45,000 people that starve to death every 24 hours on this planet, 38 to 40,000 of them being children, and they deserve better. And we felt like this was a way to do it without being too political, without having to uh, form large organizations and so forth. Of course, it's a massive effort. It's going to require a lot of people, but uh, we're we put together, put it together in this manner. We'll crawl, we'll walk, then we'll run. And uh, do you have questions, Meg, or you want me just to keep <laughs> um, I have a comment that I just, I like the kind of, um, just the way that it's like you're, in a way, you are kind of promoting a vegan message because you're, you know, these are, it's a, they're vegan foods, but I like that you just kind of have the big picture, and it seems like, um when you work on projects, you're, you kind of like have the big picture incorporated into your activism, and I think that's great. And I think Thank that's you. the way that you'll, you know, reach the most people. Right, because otherwise there are people, you know, when you, we use the V word of any type, um, it's that's a negative to a lot of people. They feel mm-hmm. like you're trying to take something away from them. Right. But um, I don't know of many people on this planet who uh, would be opposed to feeding the children. Exactly. And our way of doing it is, of course, there will be vegan foods, and we're trying to keep it indigenous, trying to uh, encourage people to grow in their areas what is natural to grow in those areas rather than trying to force it in, and to try to get back to what nature had intended for us to be eating if we resided in certain areas. And do you feel like, are, are there people, like the experts working with you, anybody working yes. with you that's like, hey, I know what's indigenous here and what will work best here? And Yes, we, we're putting together some advisory people uh, to work with us, and we got our website, just got it up and running last week, and it's www.worldorchardproject.org. And like I said, we're crawling. We got some good information up. There'll be more added, but we have pages like how to... We've got uh, links to, like, government even um, sponsored programs showing what should be grown in these zones. And so we got a lot of help for anybody who wants to just go out and plant a few trees or plant or, or really get involved. Any kind of way people can get involved, wonderful. And if you go to the page, you'll see a message I kind of put on the front of the page. It just basically says, um, if you resonate with what we're doing, we welcome you aboard but we also encourage you to follow your own bliss and just go do something you feel like is positive that, that meets you know your your vibrations and your beliefs. Um, how do we get these vibrations that you talk about? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it, you make it fun. Nothing battery-powered. Yeah, it's got to be fun. If it doesn't feel like fun, you're probably not on the right path. Oh, I like fun vibrations. Yeah, you, you, you've known me long enough to know that I'm sort of also, along with being... Being called the, the veganator, I'm also called the funinator. <laughs> so, um, you know, that's that's why I brought this group together. The, the core group is Hal Brown, which you're familiar with, yep. and myself, uh, Abby Pettit, who I mentioned, who I met in, in uh, Hawaii, who now lives with her family in Illinois, Sharon Jacks, who I think y'all know, who's a really upbeat person, and Tom Frazier, one of my dear friends, who's just uh, a wealth of information and uh, a, a really great dry sense of wit and these people really wanted to get involved and that's the type of people we want is people who want to get involved and then we got an advisory board that uh, like David Kidd I don't know whether you're familiar with the story of David Kidd but his book 
for pro-activists is a must-read. It's called Growing America, and it's basically the story of a grassroots activist. David went out and planted trees in the great Ohio area where he lived. Um, they weren't fruit-bearing trees, but uh, his objective was to try to rebuild some of the environment you know, by planting trees. And he planted millions of trees and had many school kids helping him and working with him. And that's what we hope to do as well, is get the school children maybe involved, working with the people in the nursing homes, and try to not only rebuild the common areas on a physical basis, but maybe as an emotional basis, where the old people, young people, old being me, okay, and young <laughs> yeah, people being Dick, and, and Dick, you kind of in the middle. <laughs> and, you know, where we all still, where we can all find these common projects and share, you know, good, good energy together on things. And another book that really inspired me, I think it inspired David Kidd to do his work. Um, there are some other people that this book has really launched in similar programs. It's called The Man Who Planted Trees by Gene Giono. I believe it's pronounced G-I-O-N-O. It's a, a fun little book. probably takes about an hour to read. And it just speaks of one man's efforts to go about and taking um, uh, acorns and so forth and selecting good ones and just go out and planting 100 every day. And mm -hmm. over a period of years, what those effects might be, you know, on an area that was once a desert can now become a forest. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, where else do you see, besides schools, um, where else do you see this project going in the future? Anything you want to add to that? Um, yeah, well, like I said, you know, nursing homes, parks, uh, you know, we, we've got a lot of government-owned land still in this country that... Um, some of it is protected forest-wise. Um, most all of it has been deforested over a period of time. And I'm not so sure that anybody took the effort to see that we put back some fruit-bearing trees and bushes and so forth. If the wild did it, that's even better. But if it didn't, if we go into areas and find that, you know, they would be uh, uh, greatly enhanced by, you know, planting some things like that, we hope to work with government agencies as well as private agencies and flower clubs around the world you know these people just love to get their hands in the soil and we want to encourage them to plant yeah i'm kind of an advocate more of the fruit bearing bushes you, you know the blueberries mm -hmm. and raspberries i really think that's our natural foods and just a handful of that really is is nutritious and satisfying and gives you all you need probably for the full day of, of whatever you want to do so um what's the best way to plant fruit uh trees and bushes are they you just plant seeds, or do you have to get a starter root, or can you just, like, eat a bunch of fruit and then go to the bathroom <laughs> around there? Oh, my God. Dad, uh, please. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get a hold of yourself. That's how yeah, nature yeah. does it. I Great, just want to na I want to be an agent of nature, Jack. Right. Well, usually birds and squirrels and all that do that naturally, so we probably don't have to do that for them. But, um, you know, seedlings are always better because you get a better start, you know? Uh, but... You know, I, I don't care if you just take a handful of seeds and throw it out. Some of them go hit, you know. Some of them go take. So what? there are many ways. And it, and it varies for different areas, and every area has different soils in it, too, you have to work with. But we want to try to keep it simple. And that's why we incorporated these people with expertise to be there for somebody that can answer those questions directly for what type of soil or zone that they're working in. Right here, I'm living at the beach in North Carolina, and we have a little mini uh, climate here that 
you usually don't find unless you're further south because our winters don't get quite so cold. So we're a zone 8 where the rest of the state around us may be 6s and 7s. So, but we work with sandy soils. So if you go plant something that requires, you know, rich, luminous soils, you may have to actually bring in some soil with it or at least put it in the hole to, you know, get it going. So, but things like fig trees really flourish here. So in my area, I've been taking and actually a fig tree will root its own uh, young. So, you know, you go back, let it, a, a, a limb will come out low and uh, form its own roots off of it, and you can go back and take that off of the main tree and replant it somewhere, and it'll take off. Um, you water it a few times to get it going. It's really a simple tree to grow. And I love figs. Uh, I'm known as the scrumper. Are you the figinator? Uh, <laughs> I have an award here. It was given to me by my dear friend Brenda Davis, who's also on our advisory board, that calls me the, the world's greatest scrumper. Scrumpering is when you go and uh, help yourself to fruits and veggies. <laughs> That's basically what we we want to make it available so you don't have to go in somebody's yard. To Is that frumper? What do you Scrump. say? Scrumper. Scrump. Scrumper. Yeah. Like thumper. No, yeah, except scrump. Well, I've always I've always thought of you as one of the regular guys, Jerry. Is it, do you owe that all to the figs, or is that something else? Is that what? <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know, you've never thought of me as normal, Dick. Uh, no, <laughs> who, who else you know goes around the world playing a dulcimer? Huh? Um, isn't there that uh, guy from India? What's he play? <laughs> Flute, I think. Yeah. Oh. yeah. So, how's the music going? Music is going really great. Are you uh, going to be one of our musical guests someday? Sunday? Someday. Oh, someday? Yeah, someday. we'll do it someday. Yeah. I, think we, I think we need a translator between the two of us, Jerry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we start getting well, older. You are, you Second are, older, things start getting lost. Somewhere down there at the Mason-Dixon line, I think we're getting confused. <laughs> yeah, maybe I ought to live up north a while, and you ought to live down here a while. Oh, no. Great places. <laughs> I'll come down to Kakalaki. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> All right, North Kakalaki. Yeah. If I hear Kakalaki one more time. Yeah. I used to live in uh, North Kakalaki, you know. Yeah, let me add another thought, uh, another another motivation. Um, I'm concerned about our news media and what Are they elect. Are you trying elect- to talk about us again? Yeah. I'm sorry. We'll try to do a better job. Yeah, but what they elect to tell us and what they don't, and I'm talking about on a national basis, oh. you know, the, the the real big three or five, whatever you want to call it out there. I think it's down to two now. Yeah, probably down to two. Um, you know, if you if you threw out to date 911, and so how many people died that day? Most people think 3,000, you know, because that's what they heard on the media over and over and over, that we lost 3,000 lives as a result of the terrorist attack on the, on the trade centers. But also, every 24 hours on this planet, like I said, we lose 45,000 people from nutritional starvation, 38 to 40,000 of them children. We lose 120 species. That they come totally extinct every 24 hours on this planet. The normal rate of attrition is one in every four years with a replacement rate that's about the same if we didn't interfere. Uh, 13 million tons of toxic waste are discharged into the water, air, and land every 24 hours. 200,000 acres of rainforest forests are destroyed every 24 hours. Um, you know, and on and on and on. Suppose the media chose... To tell us that just once a week, much less every day or every hour, we we could probably get the people awake enough 
to go out and make a positive impact. Get it. out of the matrix. That's what I always tell you. You got it. You got it, Megan. Get out of the matrix. <laughs> you know, I'm serious. So thankfully, people like you are reaching out and trying to get that message out there. If we could just find a way to expand the audience, you know. That's what um, we're trying to do. I know you are. And anything I can do to help y'all. Well, just being on know. our show, you know, I'm, I'm oh, sure well, we picked you. up a couple thousand more listeners. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, in the meat industry and, uh, They're all and, and, and the Bushites to show up at my door tomorrow, too. So. <laughs> the Bushites. Yeah, the Bushites, yeah. Can you say terrorist again? I love the way you say that. You like the way I say terrorist? Yeah. <laughs> oh I, I think they're called politicians, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, Keep you in fear that they'll protect you, so vote for them and send money. Yeah. Jerry, just a little bit of background about you. Um, how did you, what led you to become a vegan proactivist? Uh, you, you want me to back up to how I became a vegan? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, in, in, in roughly around 1990, um, my weight had what I call ballooned up to about 200. I was a no real, real estate agent riding around in a Volvo. <laughs> And my exercise was getting out of the car to go eat in the, back in the car. And my back uh, gave out as a result of it. I'd always been pretty active, but I'd gotten really last of days ago. My diet, you know, was basically, you know, six pork chops on a grill at night or a steak <laughs> or standard American food, you know, sad, you know, diet. And my back just completely played out to the point that I was even in and out of wheelchairs, going to the chiropractor on a daily basis. And they had uh, finally, he sent me to a surgeon, and they had um, actually set a date to do surgery on my back after doing all the MRIs and tests. And something just told me, don't quite go in yet. And I almost got in a fight with the surgeon when I went to see him at just the pre-op visit. And I had found some material in my chiropractor's office he had never told me about, about how diet might affect your back. Duh. So I read it, and at the same time, my wife, which is ex-wife now, bless her soul, was reading some books um, by um, Andrew Wheel, Dr. Wheel, and mm-hmm. also by Neil Barnard on, like, diet. And she um, and I had kind of traded information, and that led me to start understanding, you know, the effects of our diet on our health, and that no doctor had ever mentioned to me. Uh, even my chiropractor, who was a vegetarian himself. And I started jogging as a result to try to strengthen my back, and he would go home and eat that st- stupid, sad diet. And I said, i got to make some changes. So I did. I started turning toward vegetarianism. And one of my clients, as I was discussing with her, and, and just before she moved away, I think, to Indiana, somewhere from, from the Petersburg area, handed me a book and said, can you read this in 48 hours before I read? And guess which book it was? Died for a New America uh. by John Robbins. So after I read that, I said, my gosh, you know, this guy is a total idiot to walk away from the Baskin-Robbins ice cream empire. <laughs> or he's on to something. And lo and behold, I got to meet him two weeks later down in North Carolina. He was here giving a lecture, and I got to spend some one-on-one time with he and Dayo. And I told him later on as we became friends and I became active in his group, EarthSave, was on the board of EarthSave International, I told him, I said, John, you confirmed both things. I think you're crazy to walk away from that, and you're really on to something. And that, um, then I went from there to, I think the first year I actually turned vegetarian, vegan, uh, I went to a Summerfest gathering and got there around all the expertise. People, you know, the Howard Lamas, the Mike Clappers, Neil Barnards, the John McDougals, 
And when I left there, I was not just a just only a vegetarian, a vegan. Uh, I, I decided I needed to start doing something and become an activist. And that led me up until about the year 1999 that Howard asked me to join the Board of Earth Aid for him, and I, that really threw me into And the, that's uh, when you became a pro-activist. I became a pro-activist, yeah. Cool. Uh, we got to cut it short. It's uh, about time for our show to end. But okay. That's a really awesome story. I, I don't think you told us that before, so I'm glad we got to hear that. Well, I like to hold back something from you. Derek. I, know. I don't want you to know everything. <laughs> I hope you got something. There's got to be a little mystery with the veganator, you know. <laughs> I hope you got something rough because maybe we'll have you on. Yeah, I'll be in y'all there you soon. I'll, right. I'll give you a holler. Don't spend all your time with Kyle Vincent. <laughs> give us, give us a holler. We'll Bobby have you. Hall and I actually are collaborating on a CD. We'll let you know when we have time. Is Barry Manilow going to be on the front? I don't think. So. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he'll be on the CD. With I him. think. I think we're going to start calling you Jerry Manilow. <laughs> no, no, please don't do that. No, that's, 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 that's more Kyle Manilow. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll uh, we'll have you guys come on and play for us when you're both here together. And, and that, yeah, we'll do that. Love and to I'll, do that, I'll man. come in and do a ripping guitar well, solo in the middle. Yeah, get the rust, <laughs> get the rust off of your guitar too, Derek. All right. All right, buddy. Thanks, That's Jerry. Great. Thank y'all. Appreciate what y'all are doing. Bye. Bye. All right. You've squandered another perfectly good hour on Vegan Radio. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Maggie. It's time for the outro. Okay, we're just waiting for you, D-Dog. I'm waiting for you. <laughs> Find out more about anything we talked about on the show. Be sure to check out our show notes at www.veganradio.com. All the episodes of Vegan Radio are available to download on our website. You can also subscribe to the Vegan Radio podcast on our website, and it'll be delivered fresh to your computer every two weeks. Our live streams on the web at valleyfreeradio.org and from noon to 1 Eastern on alternate Thursdays. While you're at the website, check out our show forums and sign up for our email list so you can keep up with the latest news and happenings. We have forums set up for you to share news stories with us and have further discussions about topics we cover in the show. Let us know you're out there listening and what you would like to hear about on our future shows. It's all available at our website, veganradio.com. We encourage our podcast listeners to write us a review at the Apple iTunes Music Store. Please don't write a review about the beginning of the show. We're sorry about that. (laughs) (laughs) Or any other podcast site that you frequent. Vegan Radio is a production of Veganica.com, and all content is copyrighted. Feel free to share our shows with your friends, but if you want to steal them for your own nefarious purposes, you better watch out, because the vegan police is going to get you. That's right. All right, and we'll see you in another two weeks for another episode of... Vegan Radio! And we'll leave you with these prids. Have a good day, everybody.
Thanks, Derek and Megan and Scotty, Vegan Radio. Vegan Radio, because the atom is in the skin, too.